Well, hello and welcome, not just to the Panty Personals, but to a whole new year. All the twos 22, two fat ducks 22. And here's hoping we can shake off some of the nightmare of the last two. And since I am never one to miss a metaphor, I've got talent and beauty to the power of two with me today. Two incredible young women, part of a new wave of young Irish artists who occasionally collaborate and work together as part of the X Collective. And more about that later. But who each follow their own path and sound in music. With me is Zaho. A.K.A. Eleanor, A.K.A. L, L. Breslin, multi-talented, proud, queer, R&B singer, songwriter, producer and co-founder of the X Collective and this talent hub of artists. And with her is Sunita, Sunita Abiyakarang, vocal soul powerhouse from Kerry via South Africa. She's a fellow podcaster. You've heard her previously in the Cork band Sucra and she's currently collaborating with one of my favourite pantasocracy gal pals at the Sublime, Jess Cow. Welcome, Zafo. And I'm going to call you L, right? <laughs> and Sunita. You know, I had um, my first uh, uh, Panty Personals threesome recently oh. with the gorgeous, nerdy twosome who are you vagabonds. Uh, oh, cute. But you are my first Panty Personals girlsome threesome. Nice. Beautiful <laughs> sandwich to be yeah. part of. Uh, videos will be available on YouTube and OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, thanks for being here. Um, I guess... Elle, I'll start with you first, because um, I mentioned earlier that you're both part of the X Collective and you're a co-founder of the X Collective. So for the benefit of people who are asking, what the hell is the X Collective? What the hell is the X Collective? Well, uh, the X Collective is a large community of artists, of creatives, of people behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. Um, We're all basically independent solo artists who have come together to write, record, release and perform music. So instead of doing this kind of journey by yourself, we're all heading in the same direction. It's like we kind of come together during this time, which is the pandemic, which has been fairly grim. And that's when we kind of started and everything. There was just a big need for for collaboration and community and stuff. So and we're, we're friends as well, which is probably the best turns part. Turns out we like each other. It turns out we like <laughs> each other, yeah. And it goes it goes well beyond the music. It's music, it's friendship. It's like, yeah, that's kind of what we are. For the benefit of listeners, you have a really good website. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking through it, I was like delighted to see that we've had loads of the members of the X Collective um, on Pantasocracy or the Panty Personals over the years. Um, what struck me about it, and in speaking to a lot of young musicians and artists in that, one of the things they always complain about nowadays is, you know, all the pressure to do all the social media and mm. all that stuff. And I think part of the reason why so much of that extra effort is now on the actual artist is because the old system of record companies and labels and deals and all that has sort of, you know, fl- flittered away. Literally. And, um, and, and so it isn't a case usually now that a young artist gets signed by some label and they take over everything and they do all that. So in a way, do you think... The X Collective and other things like it are a response to that change. Absolutely, because like this journey, well, first of all, in, well, I studied music in college, but 
like music is about 20% of actually creating the product of music. It's so small. The other 80% is what you need to be amazing at, which is like your business, your social media. And like sometimes it can be really, really difficult to be able to do all of that by yourself. So with the collective, everybody brings their own strength. So there's somebody who's really good at literally everything that you could need within your music journey. So um, I, I think collectives are really important. A, because like releasing music and putting it out there is so expensive and it's emotionally a wreck of a journey. So it's yeah. really nice when I can be like, Sarita, you've gone through all of this or whatever. And you can have that conversation and she'll get it as opposed to my family that are like, when are you going to get a real job? That type yeah. of. So like, you know, it's, it's really nice to have people around you that really get that, that system. And like, there's a lot of politics and a lot of things to kind of work around outside of the music. So when you have people that are all that good and that talented, that's like... That was a given. Everyone was unbelievable. And then the next part for like being in the collective like was just soundness. And there's a lot of really sound characters. Like it's a very safe space to be in. Yeah. Well, one of the things you immediately get when I look at like the videos and stuff that you guys have made together, it looks like gas crack. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's having the time of their lives, it looks like. Absolutely. Well, we try and make those events where that is possible. So like it's just like a nice new community of um, of guys and gals to be working with. Um, one of the ones that really struck me that I immediately focused in on is your sort of girl power um, <laughs> pop anthem WV and Sneezy. You're one of the five vocalists in that. So it's the two of you. Chloe. Chloe Agnew. Chloe Agnew. Love Chloe Agnew. Yeah. Um, obviously I'm obsessed with her mother, but I love Chloe Agnew too. Yeah. She's adorable. Uh, Toshin. Toshin and then Gemma Bradley as oh, well. Right. Yeah. The only one I don't know, I think, Gemma Bradley, so we'll have to sort that out. Um, tell me about that part, because to me, in a way, that sort of sums up what your collective energy is about in, in the ex-collective. Um, Sneezer, tell me about, how did that come together? Yeah, so I guess my involvement in it came out of joining the X Collective in the early days, kind of latter end of 2019, early 2020. How do you join the collective? Is it like, do you feel like a form, have an interview, like how does it work? Yeah, Elle Elle and Emily both uh, approached me and kind of spoke to the vision that they had um, with it. And I think Tola McKay and a couple of people were part of it at that stage, but it's still fairly early days. And I, I really bought into, again, the ethos of it. And especially because I suppose the conversation we initially had was just like a lot of the music that Emily and Elle are interested in and, and perform is kind of a little bit left of centre. Emily is uh, Elle's partner, is that right? Yeah, and the yeah. other co-founder as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So like Shukra was kind of a little left of centre in that it was kind of R&B and soul. But the idea behind it is that like by having this collective of people that do slightly left of centre, we can again trade like knowledge and, and skill sets and kind of amp each other up and, and help bolster each other to get opportunities and, and do interesting things. So Shukra actually bought into it at that stage as a band, but then we were we were planning on dismembering. That's not the right term. <laughs> disbanding. <laughs> Chopping up. Disbanding. Yeah. Disbanding. It was like just killing each other at the end. Um, no, we were going to disband basically after putting out the album and the pandemic hit at the same time and then you were looking for a vocalist for WB mm-hmm. alongside Chloe Agnew and, and Gemma Bradley and Chloe and Elle had co-written the song a mm-hmm. while back. That was kind of my first entry point in terms of performing or doing anything in the X Collective was singing parts of the vocals and, mm-hmm. and kind of taking on that second verse. 
And again, like that, I like, you know, made a music video in the pandemic. I think it was just really interesting for me to see as to how we were galvanizing together as the pandemic hit and it seemed really yeah. flaky or scary to think of how music's going to come together. But then the community aspect and the kind of everyone really brainstorming and thinking on their feet really kind of came together like mm. then and demonstrated mm. itself. So yeah, you know, we got to be closer and, and made friendships in that as well yeah. as like, okay, actually this is functional. Like this is going to work, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the other two things that strike me about the X Collective, one of course is the kind of music that all of you guys are doing are the kind of music that maybe doesn't get as much commercial mm-hmm. support. Uh, I mean, so I can sort of see that coming together in that sense is good for you all. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of hip hop and R&B and, exactly. you know, left of center pop and, and kind of jazzy rock pop and, and jazz. And all and, kind of things, yeah. Yeah, you know, the kind of things that aren't necessarily going to be played in the afternoon on 2FM or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they should be, of course, but um, but the other thing about it is like, I mean, there are boys involved, but it does have this sort of girl power energy about mm-hmm. the whole thing. Is that because um, uh, because you and Emily were the co-founders? Was that was a part of a plan or literally me and Emily like where are the males? Where are the males in this country? It was never meant to be exclusively like female led. It just so happens that there are so many unbelievable. R&B, neo-soul, hip-hop, female artists. Yeah. So eventually we'd, we'd find kind of like one or two um, guys that we thought were appropriate for the collective. Because um, the whole point is that we collaborate with one another. So we need to make sure that the genres kind of match. Yeah. Or not even that they match, but that, that it would work well in a collaboration. Because that's the whole point that it is cross-genre. But yeah, it was certainly not intentional that it was that there is going to be a lot of uh, ladies in it. But we're, we're, we're still continuing our search. Like It's, <laughs> it's, it's growing and yeah. it's it started off with like myself, Emily, two or three artists. And then someone was like, I know this person, I know this yeah. person. And then you just, it just expanded and expanded. But yeah, no, it's important for us to have that dynamics. We want to make sure that it is as diverse as possible because this is the music that's coming out of Ireland. And we want to highlight that, like you said earlier, like with R&B, hip hop, neo. So that's why it began because there was no platform for us. And I was like, I'm sick of not getting gigs. Who do I go to? Where do I go to? So it was like, let's just create our own opportunities and let's just be the boss of ourselves and, and steer our own ship. So that's kind of how it began and why it began, just to, to make sure we highlight those. Well, stories. it's funny you said like you want to be the boss because when I was, you know, doing the deep background research that I always do for these things, you know, when it comes to you, Elle, I would say that what comes off everything that I've read with you or things I've read about you is that you're a girl boss. You're Indeed. a boss bitch. You are a boss bitch. <laughs> Um, because this, well, first of all, the whole X Collective was your thing, but also all the way through, I can see you, um, every interview, everything, you really have your eye on the prize and you are going to make things happen. And I have such respect for that. Thank Um, you. (laughs) I love a doer. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I expect in a couple of years you're going to be the Irish lady Jay Z. You know. So I'm working that. (laughs) I'm a broke ass B for the moment. Like struggling and figuring out this music industry. Step by step pilgrimage to the 99 problems, but the dollar one. You're the bitch. You know. I guess. Sorry, can we say that? Um, Yeah. No, it's such it's such a journey, and I'm a stubborn mother effort. And if I if I see something that I want, I need to. You can say motherfucker around this. Oh, can we? 
podcast. Oh my God, yes, you know, we can curse. Yeah. I cursed like a sailor and I was like, Jesus Christ, Eleanor. <laughs> Keep Eleanor. <it> <laughs> um, but yeah, I work like a motherfucker and I, I really enjoy the work I do. And I, I found like, I found it really, really difficult at the start. But again, it, it is a journey that you have to go through and you're going to get a million no's before you get your thousand yeses. And it's with the collective... I find if you don't ask, you don't get. And the worst that happens is it, you get a no and you can kind of be like, whatever, you don't even deserve to be in this or, you know, it's fine. And like, there's a lot of people, I, I've been so shocked with the genuine, like outpour of of support from people in a really genuine way. And even since we've kind of launched more in a solid way, visually online and stuff, we've had a lot of support in terms of gigs and stuff and funding to get what we need done. So like, if you don't ask, you don't get. So just there's, there's no harm. <laughs> is she real bossy? <laughs> See, I'm also kind of equally bossy about my business as well. So like from, from one bossy person to another, I respect it. I think ultimately everyone's like working on a common goal. So mm. like we have a, a great amount of trust. And I think that everyone in the in the collective really respects Elle for that because we had mm. a songwriting workshop, for instance, that happened in May with, out of, you know, coming out of like one of the really super restrictive lockdowns with like mm. about 35 people. They organized like a, a huge a state for us to be in yeah. and coordinated different people to collaborate with one another and producers and stuff. And just like the level of detail that went into it requires someone that is like very particular and very clear visioned as to what they want to achieve. domestic goddess. I was downstairs um, because <laughs> yeah. the person who's supposed to be cooking got COVID. So I was like, ah, oh, Jesus, who's going to make the curries and the chilies and all the food? So I was literally mid writing a song like stirring yeah. a massive pot of curry and making soup that's and, like, it it was just like doing vocals in feed. one room and then like kind of running down and doing food and, and where is all of this happening so this was like one particular songwriting workshop in Kilkenny in a really lovely lady's big house thing I don't know what you call mm. big houses I'm just like a state a ginormous yeah, yeah. gaff that 35 <laughs> people can sleep in yeah yeah, yeah it was um, good fun and it was very scrappy you know like obviously we didn't have like a, a massive amount of like funding or resources per se so like both yourself and Emily were really investing in making sure that mm. everyone was comfortable and getting to know each other like loads of us hadn't met one another yeah. and especially hadn't met one another coming out of the pandemic where everyone was fairly isolated so it was like building community making sure songs happened at the end of this mm-hmm. weekend then there was like a kind of like eating and then deconstructive that is so important like is that? for the creative process i find when people are are fed and watered when they can <laughs> sleep well well, we didn't see very well, but we it was the first time that we were all able to like hug each other. We all did like several COVID tests and then we were like set into different rooms. So there must have been like five active songwriting rooms with a couple of artists, maybe two, three artists and a producer. So like walking in from room to room and hearing the high quality caliber of music, I was like... <gasps> oh my God, I was like, we've actually done something. I was like, oh my God, this is unreal. It wasn't competition because that's not the right word. But when you heard what was going on in one room, you were like, we need to get our shit together in the next room. And then we used to do like a showcase at the end of of every day and we'd listen to the songs that we'd written that day. And it would just encourage people to just, to bring their own game and show up. And then everybody showed up and the album that we have out of it, like it blows my mind. And now we're performing that live. So it's great. (laughs) And when is that album out? It's coming out in bits and pieces. So a track that Sunita put out there recently with um, Jess Calvin Toshin. That's, That's Ascension. Ascension. And then WB is the first song. So first song, second song, and then we have about eight or nine other tracks with 18 other artists to come out. Okay. 
So how did the ascension with Jess Cab come about? Like that, we had uh, Emily and um, Elle had kind of assorted everyone into different groupings with different producers based on their musical sensibilities and what they thought would work. So myself and Jess and Toshin were put together as kind of being like big power ballad kind of vocals yeah. and, and that's something soulful and interesting could come out of that. This is not about you. I am blessed with this bliss and this bitch not We were working with Liam Geds as well, who's a producer. I hadn't ever come across him, but he's done a ton of work with mm-hmm. loads of pop he's amazing. people globally or whatever. And Toshin had maybe got there a little bit earlier and had sung the kind of foundation vocals. It's nearly like a, a bluesy, nearly slavey kind of like working mm. tune. The, mm, mm, mm. Yeah. So that was kind of done by the time that we all got into the room. And then Jess had had like a little heart-wrenching ditty that she was like I'm feeling a thing and I need to like (laughs) (laughs) uh, write about it and then from there yeah it metamorphosized from there we were like sitting for a couple of hours and and trying things out like um, I can't remember the term that Jess used I think it was like Something like a writing dump, so like you just basically just write literally anything, yeah. uh, you know, and not really think or try and structure like it a too brain, much. Brainstorm kind of a, a writing dump. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely wow, that's it's definitely an more poetic. It was, it's, I think, it's like free writing or something like that. It's like yeah, writing yeah, dump. Yeah, let's yeah. go, you know. <laughs> not the term I would use. Gotta do a big writing dump. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta let it go. Um, so yeah, so we did that, and then Liam and we like listened to loads of stuff. So obviously, I will always try. And bring Beyonce into everything we, so the, the foundation was kind of a like yes. blues grassy kind of song and we were kind of getting into like a really delicate soul tearjerker type of track and yeah. I was like wait we're, we're talking about this uh, the essence of the song Ascension is basically that you're purging someone that has been really negative to you could be a lover it could be literally anyone else but you're kind of wishing them well as you're purging them and you're kind of saying that like the impact of that has probably left you a little bit damaged you're going to go off and do your own work on on yourself and you hope that they respectively do the same and I was like you know there's a bit of like grit and anger in that story as well yeah. like a purging is not like a harmonious sweet no, process mm-hmm. like it, it takes mm-hmm. work and I we referenced Beyonce's Don't Hurt Yourself which she worked on with Jack White of the White Stripes and oh, stuff right. and the song was kind of taking on this like gritty direction I was like yeah let's like bring a little bit of like anger and pizzazz and like mm. allows us to shout and be like a different version of ourselves maybe that we don't always because it's a proper banger it yeah, yeah slaps you across the face for sure it does yeah Yeah, that was that. That was what we came at. Like Toshi wanted to rap, and she tried that as well. So it was like a really, again, like the essence of the the collective came through in that we were like referencing stuff that we wouldn't necessarily feel is fitting to our respective like music and brands or mm-hmm. aesthetic. But we had an opportunity to be like, I really fuck with this thing, and mm-hmm. like I used to go to like loads of rock gigs and you know moshing and different things like that. And I want to bring a little bit of that like element into this. And yeah, and then Liam polished it up and made it sound pretty. And it was like a well. beautiful industrial kind of level of production. I think what was the mm. reference before Trent Reznor 
but it just yeah I can see it all over because when, when we were listening to the songs I was like this is going to be in every ad it's going to be in FIFA like my brain immediately <laughs> yeah. when I hear something it's like right how do we how do we get where this out there where does it go I definitely She's see it producer. as <laughs> super producer like that Freak. was as well like it was great to see you in motion doing production and kind of like you know working like I'm sure Lewis knows as well like oh, poor Lewis God help him sorry um, Lewis is um, our, our who's going to be uh, uh, joining you yeah. on the mm. track you're going to do for us and he's sitting quietly in the corner love you <laughs> <laughs> looking like adorably lost on a stool yeah. in the corner there <laughs> he's the honorary husband of everyone in the collective every, every, every game that we play everyone's everyone husband. claims him to be yeah. their husband nah, he's a great husband and all yeah. <laughs> well I mean one thing that strikes me about all of that is um, like the arts council should be pouring and pouring money into you and giving you a building that has X collective across the Do front. Do you hear and, that arts council? Um, <laughs> like, but you are exactly what you know. The arts council are you know, should be supporting. Mm. Um, yeah, totally into it. You could be like a you know, a, new, a new hit factory, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, well. So let's let's um leave the X collective for a second. I just want to talk to you both about your own stories from it so I'll start with you Will mm-hmm. um, the Zaffo thing like, like so many artists and who am I to um, <laughs> you know you've chosen another name to, to work under and all mm. that now I'm just going to jump in right here and assume that it has something to do with the well-known poet from Lesbos bingo <laughs> Exactly, the big Lesbos from Lesbos. <laughs> yeah. Um, originally, <laughs> I wanted to go out as my own name, L, but yeah. some trollop in Spain already was released under Universal as L. So my manager was like, "We could get sued if you come, become successful." So I was like, "Right," and I went and I had to think of a million different names. So I, uh, I just was a fan of kind of like Greek mythology, and so I just went through looking at loads of different kind of Greek names, and I saw Sappho. But then I put a Z on it because there was like DJ Sappho, this, that, the other Sappho. So I was like, Zappho, see you later, bye. And also my music is kind of dark and I don't know why I associate Z with being a little bit darker, but <laughs> S is kind of sweet. So it's like that kind of sums it up. And she's a big old gay. So, you know, that matches me too. <laughs> well, what, what I love about it is very much you're staking your identity out there. It's claiming your own space mm. in a fun, cute way. Um, and obviously... I'm all, uh, I'm very much on board on board with that, and but it is quite it's quite a bold way to start. Didn't seem bold to me. Felt right. Like there's a fear of like you pigeonhole yourself if you're associated specifically as like a queer artist. But like all of my music is intrinsically queer because they're all yeah. about me and they're all about my life and my experiences. So mm-hmm. it's really important for me to actually represent that in, in anything that I'm doing with my music. I, I can't help it. It just naturally comes out. Yeah. And it's queer, but it's also universal. Even in my music videos and, and anything that I'm doing, I, I always want to make sure that it's like led by queer women or men. Well, of course, uh, you have the song at Collide with uh, the gorgeous and beautiful Tolum K that we know well here. <laughs> And I love that you got Tolu into a lesbian love story mm, in that know. video. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And I'm doing it with a few other artists as well. I was like, I'm going to make all of you gay. <laughs> Literally all my songs, I, any collaborations with girls, I'm like, this is going to be about lesbians, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And um, so you're, you're from Rathfarnham. Mm-hmm. You went to school in Muckris where your dad was a teacher. I was, yeah. um, And, like, is it a musical family? No. Not at all? No, no, no. I, I don't know where I came from or I would say, like, my brother is a metalhead and he can okay. play a bit of guitar, but outside of that, my dad is, like, a Daniel O'Donnell and, like... Not really anything else out of that. I wouldn't say I got any musical inspiration from my family. I love them to bits, but the music thing isn't uh, wouldn't be from them. Are I'm... they real bossy though? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the boss ass bitch, and I've always been. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I get it from my mom though. That could be a thing. Um, and were they supportive of you? Do they want you to go and you know get a nice job in an insurance? Company? I mean, like my my fam. What is my family? There are teachers. There are people in banks, uh, secretaries. Uh, the, like it's none of it is in the creative industry. And originally, I wanted to be an actor, but I just found that was it was too hard for my sensitive self because it was, there was so much criticism attached to it. And yeah. I was like, Ah, Jesus, maybe I'm just not very good. So then I swapped over to the whole music thing, and I think I remember the expression my dad said. It was like during the recession and I was like, yeah, I want to go to, to BIM, which is this music college. And he was like, ah, oh, it's a recession. No one's getting a job. Go for it. That type of thing. So, I mean, they absolutely are supportive. But I don't think they fully understand what it is that I'm doing because it's a completely different world. Like, like no one understands. Nobody understands <laughs> until you're actually living it. Living. And like my mom would be like, what did you do in that song? I was like, everything. Everything yeah. that you're hearing. That was me. Oh, listen, I, I mean, I so get that. I mean, you know. I'm a drag queen. You can imagine mm, what my parents yeah. were there. Like, they were always totally fine and all that. But they didn't have a clue what I yeah. was actually doing yeah. with my life. Yeah. Was there ever a thought in your head that you were going to have to get a regular job or you were very determined from day one? I have always been exceptionally stubborn in that I have this, like, at the start it would have been, like, a quiet self-belief. But then, like... I can't really help it. You get validated by other people's responses. Mm. And then that keeps feeding you to keep going on. But like in the pandemic, there were several times, even though I had the collective, even though I'm releasing an album for my for myself, um, there were several times where I was like, right, I want what everyone else has, which is a mortgage. I want a family. I want to be able to afford to survive. And I'm actually mm. at a stage where you just get so fed up because like as a songwriter, I'm not a session player. I don't go out and play in pubs or do any of that type of stuff. It's songwriting. That's how I make my money. But if like the funding and the the business plan and the like, it just takes so much to actually get stuff out there. So I do question it. And sometimes I'm like, right, am I going to have to suck it up? And I'm going to have to get a full time. And then I do music outside of it. And that's the reality for a lot of musicians. A lot of a lot of artists have to do that. So maybe it's not a bad thing. But I mean, it would be ideal to be able to survive slowly off that. I mean, that's the yeah. dream. And, and I'm not going to stop that until. Till I'm beaten and battered down, <laughs> I, I still have a, I still have a good fight in me. For the well, because I watched this other interview with you, and I I, I sort of loved you for it because you were sort of saying you know you started out as a singer songwriter, and then you're just like well, nobody was listening. So nobody. I thought, Fuck it, I'll just you know <laughs> yeah. I'll try and you know another yeah. genre. Or whatever. You have to adapt and yeah. change, and that's what I learned in college. You have to raise your standard. You have to, like yeah. the bar is set, so you have to you have to meet that standard, and you have to work exceptionally hard. And I would have worked really hard on songwriting because yeah. like yeah, I just I believe I believe in in myself and in my project. So mm. what's meant for you won't pass you because I'll be standing with necks <laughs> like yeah. get, get, shut up, <laughs> give it up, and a shotgun. Yeah, um, literally. <laughs> well, we're gonna have music from both of you, so this time actually feels like a good time um, to have uh, some music from you, El. So tell us about the song. So, and about yeah. your lovely accompanist. And my yeah. beautiful husband, my music husband, Lewis. Um, so um, this is a song, it's called Tell Your Mother. It's going to be released, uh, it'll be the second song off my, my debut album coming out around Mother's Day. It's like, I'm going to say it's probably one of my bigger LGBT kind of anthemic coming out songs, even though this is not my experience. 
this song like is a song of like heartbreak and perhaps me living vicariously through friends that have had horrible yeah. experiences. My mother is an angel, a saint, and I love her and she's so supportive of me and my journey. But I wanted to write something because I felt a lot of pain for other people and for their experiences. And actually, when I, I watched um, the Abbey Theatre with yourself, I had such a thing that just clicked with me and my own queerness when you said something about checking yourself and, and holding hands and stuff. And I was like, I do that. And I didn't even know I was doing that. Mm-hmm. I do sometimes hate myself. I hate myself because I fucking check myself when standing at pedestrian crossings. And sometimes... I hate you for doing that to me. But not right now. Right now, I like you all very much for giving me a few moments of your time. And for that, I thank you. So I wanted to, like, connect with my queerness in that sense. And this is kind of a story about that. I'm, I'm kind of singing to myself, but it's not my experience. It's, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to explain. You don't have to explain. It's Thank all you. in the music. <laughs> Great. <laughs> all right. Um, let's hear it. Okay, let's go for it. Say that you wanna go 
Done. Gorgeous. One of those, Lou. <laughs> Good job. Well Thank you. It was gorgeous. Sunita, now, your story, in a way, could not be more different <laughs> from Elle's. Yeah. So you were born in South Africa and at the age of eight came here with your sister and your mother. Mm-hmm. And you ended up growing up in County Kerry. Where exactly in County Kerry? Castle, Maine. Castle, Maine. Yeah. And for a lot of it raised by a sort of foster family, an Irish foster family. Like, it's, it's quite the ride, mm. in, in a way. Are you one of those people who then worries or struggles about ideas of identity or you're just getting on with it? A bit of both, I guess. Um, Not so much a struggle. I think I'm I'm kind of a bit of a chameleon as far as like, so I was born in South Africa and obviously I'm like South African and black and and African and and that's very evident by looking at me. But then (laughs) I am... Shocker, this is this is my coming out party. Um, no, uh, uh, but yeah, then moved here. And I, I like also, I guess, like, you know, pretext, like in South Africa, we like grew up in a fairly like middle class family. Both mm. my parents weren't South Africans themselves. They came and lived there and, and um, built a life there. And then, yeah, and then basically moved here. But I guess like being a South African as well was like not like I wasn't South African, South African. I was like part Lesotho, part Ghanaian, spoke English all of my life because both my parents didn't have like a language that like clued them together that they communicate through other than English. So like kind of, yeah, being a chameleon and adapting to situations and probably mirroring whatever my surroundings are is like very natural to me. Moved to Kerry, had a Kerry accent within like you know, had a towny trilly accent within two years. It's like, yeah. hi girl, how are you? <laughs> and I was like, my mom was just like, enunciate. And, and I didn't, you know, bring you to school all these years for you to like, you know, uh, to be saying I am and weird things that she, yeah. to her were like, whoa, what, what's this? Now, when I, you know, when I was growing up in a small town in, in the west of Ireland, yeah. um, 
you know, in the 70s, if, you know, a black girl had come to class, you know, she would have been the most exotic thing we'd ever seen. You know, yeah. had that changed by the time you were moving to Kerry or were you still the most exotic thing yeah. the kids had ever seen? I think we're only probably getting to that stage of yeah. like being used to mm-hmm. different cultures in yeah. Ireland, probably in the last like maybe five to 10 years is my thought on it. Because, yeah, we moved. Came to, to Dublin for a short period, but moved to Kerry and moved to yeah. Trilly Town. And then I, whenever I lived with my um, foster parents, moved to the countryside in Castlemaine, which is like on the side of the mountain, and went to start a secondary school in the countryside and like would have walked down to get my bus um, with my sister. And like genuinely people would have like driven slowly and kind of been like, oh, <laughs> looking at me kind of like, yeah. wow, that might be the, the Costello girl that's adopted or whatever, you know. So yeah, I came um, to Ireland through the direct provision system. So mm. I moved into um, a caravan park with like loads of different people from different parts of the world because a lot of the Eastern European countries weren't part of the EU at that point. But so like I equally was also like, oh my God, there's like Polish people and Czechoslovakian people. Like there's this like multitude of like nationalities that I was, yeah, meeting people from and and getting to know what their cultures were like. And it was all very new. And then when I moved to the countryside, even more like Mm. evidently new to people because they were just, they probably wouldn't have seen a Polish person was exotic to them. So like never to mind me. And then probably more confusing that like, I was more colloquial, to, like I had really good English and had an accent within a short period of time. So it felt yeah. probably really weird and jarring for them to be yeah. like, you're kind of local and it feels familiar, but like just the optics are just not <laughs> computing in my brain, which... Um, well, I saw, I read this thing um, about you, which just made me cackle out loud because I know, you know, that for any sort of black Irish person, you know, they're constantly asked, yeah. you know, about their background and all that. And, and that can just be, um, I'm sure, tiresome and all. And you had this kind of <laughs> like hilarious little thing to sort of, you know, explain it yourself. And you would just tell people that you were, you were Samantha Mumba's cousin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is just genius. Yeah. I mean, it was convenient because she was also one of the few and only like people of color that I had seen represented in media to yeah. me. And and also people would ask like really weird things like when I was in primary school where I don't know, it was just like, I don't know, do you know Eddie Murphy or something? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, and I do. Or like I had braids, you know, one day and they're really long. Like, your hair got so long. And I was like, yeah, I just combed it and it just grew, you know. So like, I think that at the time I was just like, these people are going to believe literally anything that I say. And I don't want to have to like explain cultural things that I probably didn't even have the vernacular to do when I was like Mm. in primary school. So I was just like, yeah, I'm a singer. And yeah, Samantha Wumba is my cousin. Um, She doesn't like, she doesn't spend time with us. She's famous. So we're just living in Tralee and living our lives. Welcome. And in a way that does really answer a lot. You know, it's, it's, um. You know, because the Irish people have that obsession with wanting to know exactly where to place right. you. Yeah. So if, if they already know who Samantha Mumba is. Right, exactly. Just, oh, right. That's you <laughs> in your box. That's that, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure their moms were just like, is that the young girl? That's my, I, I feel uncomfortable about asking her, but geez, yeah, it's kind of weird that, you know, <laughs> part of their family lives in Chile. But yeah. It's pure genius, man. Have you ever met Samantha Mumba? No. But oh, well, you have we to. can make that happen. She's, she's, she's very lovely in Sweden. <laughs> she one time DM'd because we did a cover actually here in, in Camden Studios, Shukra and myself, of um, I'm Right Here. All the good men who are out there, all the single ladies want to know where. So put your hands up in the air, say I'm right here. All the good men who are out there, all the single ladies want to know where. So put your hands up in the air, say I'm Remember that song? Yeah. Oh, the man! It was the fire station music video yeah. theme. So we did a cover of that, and she commented on it, and it made my life. So that's yeah, I'm that's happy with fun. that. <laughs> and then, but but interestingly, you know, 
Now, this interview is a few years old, maybe. So I'm interested to know, would you answer the same question the same way now? Hmm. Somebody asked you really about your background and all that. And in a way, at that time, in your answer, it was very clear that you were resistant to the idea of, in a way, throwing your lot in with the sort of emerging Irish rap or and b hmm. um, black Irish movement. Can we call it a movement? Let's yeah. call it a movement. And my sense was that you were... A, probably just fed up with always having to justify your background and mm. maybe and maybe were wary that that was just going to make that even more. Yeah. And maybe I I got the sense that maybe you're worried it would just sort of pigeonhole you or something. Mm. Do you still feel the same way? It's not so much a strategic plan to like not or, or any sense of shame about like speaking to my heritage. But I think that I just also have a very uniquely complicated sense yeah. of self and identity. And like to answer your question about like, do you have an identity crisis? I don't know if it's a crisis. I think I've come to a place of like comfortability with my particular narrative is like really complex and speaking to that like in a universal way as if to kind of um, say that that might be the experience of like several other black people. is just going to be confusing. Like yeah. I, you know, had... African parents moved here for through direct provision and then like got adopted to Irish parents and lived in the countryside. So I've like gained a massive amount of privilege and like unique, weird instances yeah. of experiences that are just really unique to like people that I grew up with in Tralee that like had black families, had thicker accents, had different educational backgrounds. And so me being like, I don't actually necessarily experience that much racism or I don't perceive it to be because I'm living in Kerry and everyone's just like, you're really exotic and new. And it's more, again, like what you're talking about, this like Irish fixation with like pinning down everyone's yeah. location. And then also their aunts, like my stepdad would be like, oh, Marie Flynn, is she one of the, you know, like, yeah. is she one of the Flynns from like, and is her uncle, but like asking me a question about like, is her uncle doing this? And I'm like, why would I talk to my friend about what their uncle's doing? <laughs> like literally we're just talking about, you know, like nonsense shit, you know? Yeah. So, um, so like I understand that kind of natural inclination to put a pin as to where people come from in Ireland. Mm. And I think that that's also inherent to like Ireland's history and the yeah. fact that heritage and, and things like that is like very important. But understanding that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like less offensive when people really try and drill down when I'm living in Dublin. They're like, oh, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, Castlemaine and Kerry. And they're like, oh, but like, where are you really from? Like, what yeah. did your, where do your grandparents, where were they born? And I'm just like, <laughs> dude, like, just take me at face value that I'm from yeah. that particular place, you know? And I, and like, similarly, I don't, um, like, I think that I'm not othered in, in as many ways as like I have experienced or I've seen other people being othered. And so yeah. I didn't, I never thought really to write songs leading with my, questioning my identity mm. I just was like I'm just going to write songs about whatever is relevant which is probably yeah. love and like I'm a hybrid of like many different things and one of the few times that I saw reflected to me like an opportunity to create a narrative and, and paint a picture of like how that is complicated was through us and Gano family yeah. and God knows I'm really I'm really good friends with but like them kind of talking about direct provision like I didn't retrospectively ever call direct provision direct provision or think about it as being yeah. like a weird setup only until people said it and I don't know if that's a trauma response or I don't know if it's just me just being like meh whatever but either yeah. way like other people kind of having more of a stated yeah. opinion and you feeling know, about you were it young very young at the yeah. time and all that yeah it's hard um, to process these things so like it's it's not any. I maybe there will be a time where I'm like, let me talk about this, and I'm ready to kind of like well, well, in speak a way you to do, it. You know, though, because you have your own podcast, which touches on yeah. it quite quite a lot. Yeah. Hello, lovely people. This is Sunita here from Points of Intersection Podcast, and you're with us here on Dublin Digital Radio from three to five for chats and bands and a bit of tunes on all things related to intersectionality. Always start off the show setting up what the premise of intersectionality is for any of you guys that are encountering that word and that concept for the first time. Intersectionality, ugh, 
in layman's terms. But so, so you do. I mean, you have an outlet for all of uh, you yeah. know of, for exploring all of that. Yeah. yeah, and I'd say that like you know, music and like education, all these things have been like a journey towards exploring that further. Like I remember when I was in college in second year, I did this module called Difference and Otherness, and this lecturer was talking just about like the cultural inference of borrowing Oriental sounds and like how music basically reiterates or perpetuates ideology right and, th- and then we talked on like Kanye West and a couple of like more contemporary things and I was like oh my god yeah like there's there's things about this like black culture and how it's represented and how people perceive me whether or not I'm like black American or not like they might project certain things that they yeah. expect onto me and I was like oh yeah I hadn't ever thought about that except for in this like educational landscape so like through you know being met with like ideas of like oh this is a way that people experience life I'm like oh yeah that is true now I have more questions than I have answers and I'm gonna go talk to other people that maybe yeah. have a better sense of like how to speak to that or how they feel about it so well, yeah. one of the things that comes from your story is um you, you your your adoptive parents they sound amazing yeah they're great yeah yeah um the Wallaces. Um, Wallace Costellos, yeah. yeah. Wallace Costellos. <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> Stepmom's face. Are they the Costello Wallaces? Or are they the- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Sunita, originally people got to know you through Sucra, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is a great pun. So how did it come about then? Like, did you decide you wanted to do more solo work or the band was naturally coming to an end or how did all that happen? Yeah, um, so like, yeah, I had always kind of been doing um, solo work in conjunction with Shukra. Um, Studied music in English and kind of got to to form a music community while in college and Shukra was born out of that. And from there, got to work with the Galaxy, collaborating with them, writing and then like singing. So I was always doing like singular bits and I guess just trying out different songs and like songwriting styles as an outfit to kind of figure out as to whether that fitted for me as a as a something I'd want to pursue for solo stuff and I, I guess now uh, myself and Jess Kavanagh who's in the X Collective and we, we were friends anyway we're kind of thinking about both of us finishing in our respective bands that have formed the, the, the basis of our music careers because you and Jess are now ha- and you have like a your own uh, yeah. twosome name um, Sister Phoenix yeah yes. exactly and it's just spelt. like so uh, sister spelt as yeah. you would expect and then Phoenix uh, F-E-N-I-X yeah exactly and I think there's a this beautiful story and I'd love like Jess to be able to kind of elaborate on it but essentially she spent some time in a monastery with some nuns and kind of did like a silent retreat type yeah, of a thing yeah she talks about that on the podcast did yeah, she excellent yeah. yeah exactly so, so the Sister Phoenix is basically like like a, a kind of a, an extension of that experience and embodying, I suppose, the essence of kind of camaraderie and like female-like love and support. And a lot mm. of the songs that we've written during the length of the pandemic and recorded, and they're more or less ready to go in, in 2022 will be the time that we'll release them. But a lot of the themes in them speak to kind of just like growing up um, and being a self-advocate, doing therapy and the things that come up in it. You know, similar to Ascension, like purging yourself of demons that really are not like conducive towards your growth and 
all of that. And so now you're going to do a track for us. Uh, yes. Tell us about it. Benefactor of Love, yeah. So it's a single. We're releasing it in February as part of Sister Phoenix, myself and Jess. And I kind of wrote it. We, we were collaborating with really great backbone instrumentalists and producers. So Jeff Warner Clayton, and he would play with Gavin James. And then Thomas Donner, who's a sound engineer in Kilkenny, all collaborated on this song. And yeah, it's again a song about kind of just being gentle with yourself and showing compassion to yourself and it's about you know giving a lot to people in your life and and kind of maybe reclaiming some space to like nurture yourself a little bit so yeah and you're going to be um accompanied here by the um quietly handsome boyfriend material lewis (laughs) (laughs) also um so yeah let's hear it yes thank you very much look forward to it Gorgeous. Um, well, ladies, you, you've been sort of like um, a gust of stormy fresh air yeah. in here today. Um, I'm going to start lobbying for the next storms to be named after you both. Storm Sunita, Storm Zaffo. Yeah. Um, only dream. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, please. I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, before we finish up, tell me what's next for both of you. L, what's next on Zappos Horizon? Zappos Horizon, I'm about to release an album that I've been writing and recording for seven years. It's my, <laughs> my life's work, essentially. It just took me that long to, to fund it and to get it to where I needed 
to get it to be. Um, and then additionally, I have uh, the X Collective album coming out, which would be filtering out. So I have two, two big al- albums. Um, but I have a single coming out on the 3rd of February to launch my album. It's called Peoples. And um, how many collaborators are on the X Collective album? So there are 18 artists, 19 actually now as of last week. So there's 19 artists and then there are about 10 producers and then session musicians as well on top of that. So there are well, 30, 30 plus people or maybe 40, I think. We haven't finished it just yet, but we're getting there. It's and if they all buy one copy yeah. and a copy for their mom and dad, exactly. uh, you know, yeah, top of the arse charts. starting it off, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, Sunita, what's next for you? Well, is, is, is anything happening with um, Sister Phoenix? Yeah, exactly. So the song that I performed, Benefactor of Love, will be released um, in its fuller version as a single, February 14th. Um, so that's going to be very exciting. Myself and Jess essentially have the bones of... Uh, kind of mini album done so there'll be more Sister Sister Phoenix stuff coming out one thing I meant to ask you and forgot did you support Billy Ocean uh, yes I was I was doing backing singing with Brian Didi who did oh no actually Shukra did yeah Billy Ocean we did yeah Shukra I love Billy Ocean really I'm a big Billy Ocean fan Caribbean Queen is one of my all time favourite no songs no way and yeah. the production on that track oh yeah, my god it's incredible I love it so when I just saw that it was one reference uh, in something I was, <laughs> and I was like I must say I asked, so how is Billy Ocean Tell he was nice. He was nice. I mean, he was busy. He was on tour. So we yeah. did the Irish leg of the tour with him in Ireland. And we met him, I think, when we were in Belfast. We played at the Waterfront, which is like a massive mm. venue. And he stopped by our green room very briefly with his personal assistant. I don't know who it was and kind of said a quick hello. So, yeah, like we were just glad to be on the right. Um, I have literally like listened to Caribbean Green a million times. <laughs> like, it's a great getting ready to go out song. Yeah, he's got incredible stuff. Stamina, like all of the women and all of the people in the crowd were weak for him. <laughs> but like we couldn't get over it was like Justin Bieber, you know, concert, but two demographics yeah. like yeah. above us. And I was like, oh my god, yeah. I can't believe I I, I wasn't there. <laughs> um, anyway, ladies, thank you so much for being here, and Luz, thank you so much for uh, accompanying everything. Um, I hope 2022 is mm. uh, going to be your year. And uh, listeners, remember, you can watch all the videos from today on pantasocracy.ie. And if you do like the podcast, please, um, you know, share and tell your friends. Um, Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. That was great. Thank you so much.